Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. I'm your host, Carly McBride. Before we dive in, here's your reminder. Make sure you're subscribed to Order Up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you catch all our releases right in your feed. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome two guests. Joining today's discussion is Dan Simons, co-founder and co-owner of Farmer's Restaurant Group, and I'm also joined by my colleague, Jeff Clark, director of the National Restaurant Association's Sustainability Expert Exchange Group. You may know this Saturday, April 22nd, we celebrate Earth Day. As we highlight sustainable practices in restaurants, I'm excited to speak with Dan and Jeff specifically about food waste reduction on today's episode. So Dan and Jeff, thank you both for taking the time to speak with us today. So let's get started. Dan, we'll start off with you. Can you take a brief moment to introduce yourself and tell our listeners more about you and a quick overview of Farmer's Restaurant Group? Well, first, thanks for having me. It's always fun to be here, to connect with you, to reconnect with Jeff, and uh, any chance to talk about restaurants, food, food waste, people, the humans doing the work. I am I'm grateful for the opportunity. So Farmer's Restaurant Group, you know, what makes us unique is our partnership with a group of American family farmers. So this is a group of restaurants that is truly majority owned by independent family farmers. For me, I've been in the business my whole life. I started working in bars and restaurants when I was in college, working the door, bartending, and just fell in love with the business and learned that I loved facilitating the party and helping other people have fun and making money and cleaning up just a little bit more than I loved the party. I do love the party and to party, but I really just love the business of the business. So for the first 10 years of my career after college, I worked for some other really great companies. And then when I was in my early 30s, joined forces with one of my former bosses and mentors, Michael Vakurovich. We started our company at the end of 2003, and here we are 20 years later. Dan, can you tell us a bit about the Farmer's Restaurant Group model and how you source ingredients from family-owned farms? Sure. So currently we're up to seven restaurants. The first founding farmers opened in September 2008 in DC. So now we have seven restaurants, a bakery, our own distillery, a catering company, and our new fledgling direct-to-consumer model, which we're rolling out now. And our DNA being farmer-owned, the company exists specifically to advocate for American family farmers to be a market maker for family farmed product, to try to be a a role model and an example for how individuals and restaurants can buy from farmers. So this informs everything we do, how we buy, what we buy, how we engage with our community, the culture. We, our expression internally is that we run the company through the eyes of the farmer. So right now it's D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania, just outside Philly and growing. And the way we buy is by building direct relationships with farmers, growers, producers, ranchers, and then looking to what we call unbundle the supply chain. So we want to have the supply chain as short as possible, as few steps as possible, between that farmer and us. It doesn't mean that we can avoid traditional distribution, 
But for example, we own one 18 wheeler in partnership with the farmers in North Dakota. We've just purchasing a second 18 wheeler. So that's an example of when we can really unbundle the supply chain, rip the costs out of the middle, meaning there's no profit to a distributor. There's no profit to a value add. So we make everything from scratch. We don't buy pasta, right? We buy flour and water and salt. And so we take that approach, we try to unbundle the supply chain, and that lets us pay a, a more fair and better price on the farmer side and have more profit and more value for our guests on the restaurant side. And that's really the model in a nutshell. Thank you. Uh, how do you continue to engage your workforce with your food waste reduction initiatives? So we're fortunate because there's aspects of the company and our mission and our purpose. So a lot of times we attract an, an employee or a potential employee that maybe cares a bit more or wants to get involved a bit more with the food supply chain from a mission-driven purpose. So when we're educating on food waste, it starts probably in the interview process when we're talking about why the company exists and then during orientation and training. So for example, our composting program, whether it's composting or biodigesting, it requires that any any leftover food coming back from the table is separated out. So it requires some serious training. It's not complicated. It's just serious because we have to be consistent. And we, I think we find success with our training related to food waste and this aspect of our commitment to sustainability by not just teaching how we do it operationally, but teaching why we do it. And we get a lot of buy-in from our team as people learn and understand about what else would happen to food waste if it just gets thrown away versus if it gets composted. And I find more than ever, you know, I'm Gen X. What I love about these younger generations, they want to make the world a better place. I actually find them easier to train. I know lots of folks complain about young folks now when it comes to training, but I find if you connect with them on things that matter, they're happy to be trained and get on board with the systems. So I know you have an ordering model that drastically reduces the amount of leftover food that you have, but when you do have that leftover food, what happens to it? Where does it go and what what do you do with it? So if you're dining with your friends, you know, at founding farmers or farmers, fishers, bakers, and you don't finish your meal, of course, we're going to make sure that you loved it. We're going to offer you to take it to go, but inevitably there's still some food left over on the plate. So when that plate comes back, just prior to it hitting the dish station where that plate is going to get cleaned, it gets scraped off. And so that separate compost, we then have one of two paths that it goes. It either goes to our big multi-gallon you know, compost containers that we keep on the back dock, which then gets picked up by a third party, or it gets scraped into bus tubs, which then goes to, as we say, feed the pig. And the pig is a six, eight foot by eight foot stainless steel box that is a biodigester. We call it the pig because you can pretty much feed it anything as long as it is real food, something from the ground or from another animal, and it will digest it all the way down into gray water. It has to vent so it can off-gas, but in most jurisdictions, biodigesters are fine, and you're just sending gray water down and some venting up, 
and that compost doesn't have to be picked up, doesn't have to go anywhere. It just gets digested all the way down. So it's a little wonky and you know, there's a lot of science there, but one of those two options for me, it just depends. I have some of my restaurants where a third party's picking up that composting and it's going to their facility to be turned back into really nutritious earth or we're biodigesting. And those are the two paths for food waste. When I was preparing for this interview, I looked on your website and I saw about the pig. I was going to specifically ask about that, but you beat me to it. So I'm glad to learn more about the pig. Let's talk about packaging. Can you tell me a bit more about your initiatives around sustainable packaging? I know you have an initiative called The Last Straw to reduce the use of plastic straws. So when did that launch and how are things progressing so far? So I'll go back a little further. When we opened the first Founding Farmers in 2008, you know, we were lead certifying the building and we were doing this through the eyes of a mindful, independent farmer. And, you know, family farmers, they care about their land. They plan to give their land to the next generation and the next generation. So they don't want to poison it, ruin it. They're part of a community. So we tried to take that approach, except while we're building, you know, 10 or 12,000 square foot restaurants in urban environments. So one little thing as an example of what we were doing was we were looking at plastics and fossil fuels and what else can we do differently and what do we how do we build our booths differently and how do we equip the restaurant differently so it was construction and supplies and so I learned a little bit about plastic and how it you know is made from petroleum and comes out of the ground and then stays on the planet for 500 or 1000 years so I thought wow we could do straws that aren't plastic. So I found out about bioplastics and I did a little bit of research, not a lot. So for about the first five years, maybe four years of finding farmers, I was using non-traditional plastic straws and I was thinking I was making the world a better place. And this wasn't like news. This was before the turtle got super famous with the straw in his nose. And then I learned, thanks to one of my kids doing a science experiment and talking with me about this at home, that the typical bioplastics, it's just a myth. It's being sort of sold to us. Maybe we're paying a little bit more. We're paying a premium. We think that we're doing something better. But it turns out that a lot of these, quote, bioplastic items like straws, when you throw them away or they end up in the ocean, they behave just like traditional plastic. So I was so angry with myself for letting myself get duped, for just being too superficial with my own research. And that sent me down this road to really learn about what things are made from and how we can avoid single-use plastics. And that led me to wanting to start a nonprofit to teach other restaurateurs and hospitality professionals the truth and the facts about plastic items we buy to bring some truth and consequence up to the manufacturing side and then to work with legislators for sensible regulation. You know, the environmentalists always have a voice to protect the planet. And I didn't like feeling like the business people were the bad ones in the equation, especially most restaurateurs I know are caring for their people, for their community, for the environment, for food. And so our last straw is led by us as business people. The members are restaurants and other business leaders, and we advocate for sensible legislation. We work upstream with manufacturers in order to get us 
items, plastic items that no longer have to be traditional plastics. We replace that. And I want legislation that gets people to move towards this future, but done in a sensible way. And so it's been really successful. We help get laws change in Washington, D.C., some counties in Virginia, Maryland. And my big vision is that, you know, this nonprofit is called Our Last Straw, but really it will be our last plastic fill in the blank. So our last fork, our last to-go container. And as we get viable solutions, we'll get them into our company. We role model that we can still make money or eliminate a product entirely, show the manufacturers it's worth investing in, and then work with legislators and regulators to make these things what becomes required. So it's pretty exciting. COVID set us back a bit, as you can imagine, but it still remains a really big initiative for us. Thanks for talking about that. I'll be sure to put that link for our last straw for that campaign into our show notes. So what initiatives does Farmers Restaurant Group participate in related to community support through food donations? I think this is something that every chef and restaurateur thinks about, that we all know we have food inside our restaurants. And of course, the goal is to have guests who can pay for that. And yet we all know There's folks that can't pay for it that are hungry. Everybody I know does donations. And so we we look for ongoing programs. And so, for example, in in Washington, D.C., over the past two years, we've donated about 17,000 meals in Ward 7 and 8. Specifically, there's Bishop Hill and Pastor McLean. They have two great organizations in these neighborhoods where a lot of folks have housing. They have homes, but they're food insecure. So that's a program that we do every single week. We drop those meals off free from a couple of our restaurants. We work with Breadcoin. It's a really cool initiative to create currency that people can, you could donate money to this organization, Breadcoin. They give out these coins to folks that are food insecure, and then people can redeem them in our restaurants. We take them like currency. So... It's like a food donation because the people are getting the food for free because they get their tokens for free. And the effort on my part and my team's part is the accounting system and the training and the redemption. It's just one more example of the way we can get food into the mouths of folks who couldn't otherwise afford it. And to do it where for me, it's not about food waste. It's not leftovers. Everybody deserves fresh food, premium quality. And so by straight donation programs, programs like Breadcoin, we're not just thinking someone deserves leftovers. We're saying people deserve the dignity of really fresh food. So we have a lot of programs like this. We, you know, food to best buddies every year, children's hospital every year with families in need. We do family reunifications dinner, folks coming out of prison who want to get together with their family. Maybe a nice restaurant isn't in their budget. And we do this with, you know, no stigma and no strings attached. So lots of ways. And again, this is just, it's what I and so many of us, right, that we love about the industry. Like we have this food and it's our currency and there's lots of ways we can get it into the mouths of folks who need it. You're doing some tremendous work to enhance the lives of people within the community. As we wrap things up for this interview, do you have any tips or small steps that a restaurant can take to reduce their food waste? 
So for sure, I think there are the simple, tangible ones. You know, when I walk into anybody's restaurant, a friend's restaurant, or just, you know, someone I'm getting to know, and we're in the kitchen on the line, I'm always looking for portioning. I'm looking for measuring devices. And if, you know, salad dressings all should have a ladle in them, and that ladle should be the size that corresponds to what's called for in the recipes. I think it's pretty common that, you know, there's one and a half or two ounce ladles in salad dressings, but the recipes are actually calling for one ounce. And so the cooks don't really use the portion control device properly. And so you end up over portioning. So I think measuring devices, great line checks so that everybody knows the schematic of what, where all that mise en place is. You know, if you're prepping into a sixth pan instead of a ninth pan, inevitably, you're probably over prepping. So I think there's a lot of those tips and best practices that help. But the big picture here is really about having the system where what you buy is connected to your forecast for the week, which is represented in your product mix, and that your product mix connects back to your recipes and back to your order guides. The amount of overbuying in a restaurant, which leads not only to higher food cost and more waste, but higher labor cost, because if you buy it, someone's going to prep it, someone's going to cook it. And so the real solution to lowering food waste is an integrated system where you prep to maximize shelf life, you prep items as infrequently as shelf life allows, and you purchase to a par based on that forecast that your recipes are built for. So I think it will sound like the most obvious thing to anyone who's doing it. Yes, of course. But for folks out there that might not have those all connected, it's well worth the effort because food cost drops, labor cost drops, food quality goes up, food waste goes down. And it's incredible the results that you can get when you put all that together. Make a difference on policy that affects your business. Join us June 19th through 21st, 2023 in Washington, D.C. for our public affairs conference and be a part of the industry's largest grassroots advocacy event. Every segment from quick service to fine dining is represented and includes large international brands to smaller independent operators who want to advocate for our industry. In addition to meeting with lawmakers on Capitol Hill, conference attendees will hear from top political speakers and celebrate the industry at networking events. To register, visit the link in our show notes. Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Can you reintroduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, thank you, and happy to be here. So I've been at the association for 10 years, which went by very quickly. And I work directly with our members to help them solve problems in nutrition and food safety, sustainability. And I also work on our Kids Live Well voluntary kids meal program. But I really engage as part of the association with our members directly. So they come have problems. We act as a big tent for competitors to actually come together and help solve many of these issues like minimizing norovirus transmission or decreasing sodium levels in food or, as we're talking about today, reducing food waste. Thank you. Jeff, can you tell us a bit about the association's work with the 86 Food Waste Program? Yes. So the National Restaurant Association teamed up with the World Wildlife Fund to really test out real-world efforts 
to minimize food waste in actual restaurants for 30 days at different locations. And the report outlines four case studies of uh, many of these different restaurants that were involved in this program, of which of these four case studies, three were independent restaurants, as well as the Subway Sandwich Shop, which had a great initiative to reduce prep waste. And this is all outlined in uh, the resources in the report itself. In addition, as part of this 86 food waste effort with World Wildlife Fund, we created a kind of broad toolkit to kind of start a restaurant's journey towards reducing food waste. And these have calculators and fun educational videos and really employment engagement tips, which is, of course, a key factor in any successful food waste reduction program. How can restaurants determine the best ways to begin a food waste reduction program? So like with anything, as the old adage says, you can't manage what you don't measure. So really starting with an audit. You do financial audits. You have to do all these other audits for quality assurance. You just got to do the same with food waste. So hiring an outside consulting group or doing your own, there are lots of resources available to do your own and kind of track and measure what food is going to the landfill. So you're really understanding what is the biggest, most impactful areas of food being discarded is that it's not used in time and just gets thrown away because it's moldy? Is it trim from meat or other you know, sources that are back of house that are going to the trash? Is it consumers aren't finishing the dish and it's being brought back to the dish room? Is it you don't really have much food waste because it's all eaten off premises? So understanding where all this is happening is really, really key. Then a restaurant owner or manager should really speak to their staff. What are the staff seeing? What are they kind of feeling and seeing and what's happening in the restaurant, both back of house and front of house, to get a better sense of how much engagement and involvement is your staff you know, want to do with this, A, and then B, what are they kind of their day-to-day touching customers, engaging with uh, other customers and knowing kind of what's happening in the restaurant? Where, where are they seeing what's going on? Then really starting, once you get a better understanding of what this all looks like, kind of picking one impactful effort first and working on that. You can't tackle food waste in your entire restaurant ecosystem all at once. It's too big. There's too much staff engagement and training and changing behaviors. Start with one thing, be it engaging your local food bank and donating food at the end of the week or at the end of, say, a big sale or a big event at your restaurant? Or is it reducing, say, meat trim and back a house or ensuring all your bones get saved and you're making house-made stock rather than purchasing stock? Just picking one thing that is impactful and starting with that, training staff up on that, and then slowly building out the rest of your efforts. And as we sort of list out in the report, 86 Food Waste, this one effort and kind of planting a flag really is the centerpiece for expanding and and growing out your entire sustainability journey, especially around food waste, and makes it really worthwhile. As folks are looking where to start, what resources does the National Restaurant Association offer to get started with a food waste reduction initiative in a restaurant? So we do have tons of blogs and videos and everything else, but I would say start with our 86 Food Waste report. It's 86foodwaste.com. There is 
entire list of other websites and resources and useful links and things to get started explained in a very, very clear way. And it's not very long, so it's a great place to really understand what the problem is, what other restaurants are doing and have done, and what other resources and initiatives are available in your local area, and how to get started. So uh, I would start there, and feel free to, if you have questions, concerns, issues, thoughts, send me an email. We'll put uh, my email in the description link, and that's what we're here for, is to help the industry shift towards a more sustainable business initiative, business practices. And it's a journey. It's not a destination. It all takes work and we can all learn from each other. So happy to help, happy to assist, but definitely start reading 86 Food Waste Report. And that's a great place to get started. A big thank you to Dan Simons with Farmers Restaurant Group and Jeff Clark from the National Restaurant Association for speaking with us today about everything from workforce engagement to sustainable packaging to food waste reduction. Did you know? The National Restaurant Association produces and hosts several webinars each month to serve and grow the industry. Topics ranging from hiring and workforce, food safety, DE&I, and the most relevant policy topics for restaurants. All previous webinars are also available for on-demand viewing. To learn more about upcoming and recorded webinars, please visit restaurant.org slash events slash learning. Thanks so much for listening to Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. Follow us on your favorite podcast player and find out more at restaurant.org slash podcasts. Episode produced by Dante32.